come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your Polterguide, Mac. I'm your Polterguide, Donna. And Polterguide, Kenzie, buried her boss in bricks, and we won't be seeing her again until next season, which starts here in a couple of weeks. But we also, in as a consolation prize, a very fine consolation prize, have the imminent Cass Clark with us. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you again. Yo, thank you for joining us. And for our special episode here, we are going to discuss uh, this year's eight-episode miniseries from Mike Flanagan, Fall of the House of Usher. Sort of does a, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that watched this, uh, a, a Castle Rock treatment on the Poe canon and wove them all together into something of a shared universe. We'll start with, did you watch it before? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Guest first, Cass. This is my second-ish time watching it because I feel like, well, I like the best about it is sort of like you said like castle rock's kind of different because like they're quasi connected but Mm -hmm. like season one and season two are like so separate that you could enjoy them both separately and i feel like that about like the individual episodes like i love the mask the red death and i can always just sit down and watch that if i want a really good scare Mm -hmm. so i watched that episode a bunch um but i really like it i think it was really ambitious and like good on flanagan for uh, this being his like final netflix series i think this was a good one to go out on this is his last netflix yeah, he signed, I, I believe it's Prime he signed a, a deal with, but I forget where, but yeah, he's, this is it for Netflix. Now he's off somewhere else. Oh, okay. I th- and now that you mentioned it, I think I did hear something about that. I watched this, I don't know, a few weeks ago and loved it. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. In fact, I was the one who recommended we do this. And so then I watched it again just this last week with the intention of taking copious notes. And I got so absorbed in it that I did not take copious notes. So this is going to be mostly off the dome today. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. This is, this is good. If you have not seen it, stop and go watch it. It's really good. And it is worth the slightly less than eight hours of your life it's really good so good i had not seen it in fact uh right before donna pitched doing this as our hiatus special episode i was just about to pitch doing john carpenter's suburban screams but she beat me to the punch but i watched it and i liked i liked certain episodes i liked certain characters the whole package left me wanting a bit uh the the premise felt warmed over succession mixed with dope sick and i was like i get it Flanagan. like i i know where you're picking from uh several of the episodes are very good several of the characters enjoyable and then the ending i don't feel like the last episode really stuck the ending for me there was a lot of inevitability and a lot of not not a lot of surprises and i was not really on board with the whole ai lenora thing i thought that was asking maybe just an inch too much from me as a viewer so very mixed review on the season as a whole i'm so sad i know that's okay yeah yeah that's what that's where we're at yeah i can't wait till we get to the last episode to talk about that one because whoo i thought the ending was going one way and then i was like oh okay but i was like oh you could have just done it 
this small tweak, I would have been like, much better, much better. But I'll hold my thoughts till we get there. Okay. okay. Well, I guess uh, favorite episodes, least favorite episodes. That might be a good place to start off on. We're not necessarily going in chronological order. I don't know that I have a favorite episode. Um, in fact, I find when I binge watch something, they all kind of mush together. I feel like Mask of the Red Death might have been my favorite if it had happened later. My problem is that you didn't really get a chance to know Prospero. Mm. Um, Prospero was just, I mean, I didn't get him. All I knew about him was that he liked drugs and he wanted, he just, I mean, I felt bad for him. I mean, he was clearly not a great guy. You know, he threatened one of his partners with a knife or a fork. I don't remember which it was, you know, so he clearly was not a great person, but he just so desperately wanted respect mm-hmm. and he wanted to be accepted that I I actually felt really sorry for him. I really, I really hated what he did, obviously, but I really felt sorry for him. And I understood how desperately he wanted to be accepted. I understand that we had to get the story going, but I felt like we didn't get a chance to get to know him before he was gone. So I really enjoyed Mask of the Red Death. I just wish I had gotten to know Prospero better before he was gone. Yeah, I feel like I don't disagree with that because I feel like when his death initially comes, when the first time you're watching, you're like, well, buckle in, everybody. But then because of the format, it's like every episode that centers around the, the, the children of Roderick, it's also like their death day episode, you know? So I feel like I feel like no matter who you put there, they would have gotten if with that format, it would have been like the same kind of feedback, which is valid. Like, why should I care? I don't really know this person yet. But I do. I do love that one. I think I'm okay with him dying first because he's so young. And so just like he's not really a fully fledged person yet in the sense that he's like, I don't know if he's actually like 19 or 20. I forget his actual age, but I get the sense that like he doesn't quite know who he is yet. So like there's not much character yet to tell and he is not invested yet in like that i will say that the thing that i was annoyed with was that like i really loved just the dividing line between like the bastard children and like the annabelle lee children and i like that there was this idea of like kind of like a game of thrones concept right like there's like the bastard kids all stick together and look out for each other against like the og children i feel like i wish there was more done with that um because i really liked leo and and prospero's relationship with that that was really interesting uh, but it's still my favorite episode. I think the tell no, no is it? Yeah, the Telltale Heart is mm-hmm. my least favorite. I feel like oh, it had so many cool things. I will say it had gorgeous special effects. The ending shot for it, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. It's so good. I was like, wow. But I, like, I feel like there was so much material there that one episode could have been like a ninety-minute movie. I just feel like it was mm-hmm. so, rough, you know. And I was yeah. like, oh, it was like so. It was like so close to being so good. Um, and I just think that it like skips so many beats. I liked how Victorine ends it. I don't think the ending necessarily needs to change based on her trajectory, but I just feel like, I don't know, it hit the antagonistic line so quickly that I was like, wait a second, this is like someone that you love and you're you're fighting so hard right now. It just, it skipped a couple of beats too quickly for me, but um, that one also is still gorgeous. So those are my best and least favorites. I think for me, Telltale Heart benefited from the fact that that's one of my favorite stories of his. You're right. It was a weaker episode, but it's such a good post story that uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's hard to live up to that. I was surprised. Even still, I was like, I mean, everyone knows that post story, so I was like, well, 
So even still, you made it your own Flanagan. So good. I I had weirdly sort of an opposite reaction. Like by Mask of the Red Death, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> but by the 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 one two punch of the Black Cat and the Telltale Heart, I was like, oh, maybe I do like this show. So I I I, I may I'm, I may just have to be comfortable with my cr- contrarianness. Yeah, the Black Cat, the Telltale Heart, that those two are are my favorite. Honestly, I d- I think the Ravens probably my least favorite because it's sort of where I eventually landed with the whole season is. I, I, Remind I, me which episode is the Raven. The fi- for the finale. The finale, okay. Yeah, it, it was throwing in a lot of things that it didn't fully develop. And, and yeah. I'm I'm mad about Lenore Bot. I, I thought that, like, what? We, we, were, we talked about AI this whole season, and this is where it was going? A, like a bunch of texts? Come on. What's pretty funny, though, you have to admit, was a little bit funny. Just like, I'm sorry, my, grandma, my granddaughter keeps texting me to be like, Oh no, it's like a bot. Oh, my granddaughter, my granddaughter is like hella dead. <laughs> a little funny, but I feel like yeah, it was all just building up. <laughs> the way you put it was way better than what they had in the show. <laughs> She's a uh, hella dead. <laughs> yeah, I should mention that now. I have a lot of favorite Poe stories. I I grew up reading Poe. Cask of Amontillado is my favorite by far. It is like my fa- my list of favorite Poe stories. No one can see my hands. My list of favorite post stories, and then two steps above all the rest, a cast of Amontillado. I don't think I've said that right yet. We all know what you're talking about, so it's all good. So, but when the show opened with uh, Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, mm. laughed my ass off. I mean, I think that's why it had me. I think that's why Mike Flanagan had me from like the opening beat was another brick in the wall. I'm like, I know where you're going and I like it. Let's go. Yes. I I, I don't like the Raveny parts of the Raven. I like the uh I'm gonna not even try to say it because I'm gonna say it wrong. The part the parts of the story that you really like, Donna. And when he starts going down into the basement and staring mm-hmm. at ooh, a brick wall, I'm like Bye bye. I don't know who's back there yet. But I know someone's back there. <laughs> Yeah, I did like how long they held off on that reveal. And then by the time you knew that it was coming, you didn't also didn't feel cheated either. I think that was cool. Because for a while, you're like, I thought, well, I thought it was going to be Madeline for a while um, at a particular point. And then I was mm. like, oh, well, <laughs> that was good. You know, I should have suggested this for my poll question. Mm. Why did Maury go to that party? Uh, I mean... Why does anybody do anything like that? It feels like, uh, well, because it was a Thursday sort of thing, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that decision that you just make because you're like, well, I always do this. This is my routine. And today I'm just going to change it. I do think that it was interesting that she was intrigued by the, I don't think it was it was that about, but I think it was interesting that she was intrigued by Prospero's attention. And I think it was just like hinted and not quite delved into that. It didn't really seem like she had the happiest marriage and that she was kind of sort of on autopilot was vibes I got. So I imagine that for her, she's like, well, this is something new and different and I would never do something like this. So I'm going to do this and just like have that thrill of a secret because from what we know, at least she hasn't really seemed to have any like deep, dark secret so much as just putting up with like her husband's family and all that darkness. And because she's also really like spared, I'd like to believe that she's pretty as innocent as she could be in her situation. Um, or I think Verna would have like 
got her in some way, you know, um, even though she's technically not off the bloodline. So yeah, I like thinking of it that way, but also, man, what a choice. <laughs> like, I know she's fine, but like, oh, that choice costs you a lot. <laughs> and fines are so relative term there. Fines. Yeah. So she I mean, just bored, bored wife and she got some attention and. I mean, I feel like those are the, the crumbs like this. And this is, again, I don't think she's developed well. I think she's kind of same thing with Juno, but I think Juno's like actor is really good. So she, she does a lot. Yeah. With her um, like fantastic actor, but yeah, I think that's what we're led to believe, which is a pity because that's such a stereotype and it's like, come on Flanagan, but that's all we really know of her. So it's like, that's all we can go off of. I'm glad you brought up Juno though, because the first time I watched this, like the second or third time Juno appeared on screen, it might've been at the dinner party and mm -hmm. Juno walked in and was expressing nervousness about the dinner party. And I was like, who is that? And so the second time I watched it, I was really paying attention to Juno. Yeah. And I was like, that actress in like the first half has like seconds of screen time. And man, does she make the most of what she's got? I mean, let me let me look up who that is. That is, and man, does she does she make the most of it? And she was in, she's been in nothing. She's been in yep. a few, something called the Midnight Club, Scootin', Scutton, the Killer, and a TV series of Creep Show that I have never heard of. Yeah, I feel like I was like one of 10 people that actually watched it and liked Flanagan's The Midnight Club, but she's like the kind of the driving force behind that whole, whole show. So if you like mm. her, I would, I mean, the only downside is like Netflix being Netflix, they canceled it. So it's like, it ends on a, a pretty big cliffhanger. Yeah. But then Mike Flanagan did like a huge tweet thread to be like, okay, if I got a season two, because I think he imagined it to be a, a, a short two season kind of like miniseries. So he does answer the question. So you can be like, okay, at least I know how it ends. I'm not going to be super angry forever. But yeah, so going in, just warning that like, if you get too attached to her in that show, like you won't see more of her in that show. But she's amazing in The Midnight Club. She's really incredible. Yeah. Then in the back half, they give her more. So that's that's yeah. great. They give her, yeah. I mean, man, she's a she's a powerful character. And I don't I don't know that Roderick knew what he was getting into <laughs> with her. Nope. I think that's a pretty good epitaph for Roderick. He didn't know what he was getting into, except for the times I when agree. he really, really did. I sometimes get the feeling that maybe Maddie and Roderick were born into the wrong bodies. I really feel like mm. Maddie should have been the dude. Weird as it sounds, because Roderick was not soft. Weird as it sounds, Roderick was a little too soft, and I think Maddie had the edge. You know, Maddie was the one that was like, bring me back her eyes. Also the one who was like, no, I'm not having kids. No, I don't remember why I'm not having kids, but no, I'm not having kids. Quit asking. Oh, that bit though. I love that when we learned that, that she didn't, well, she didn't want to have kids, but I feel like it's never, it's ambiguous in a good way. I feel like, I think my biggest complaint with Flanagan is sometimes he unintentionally leaves stuff ambiguous and I'm like, okay, but like, come on. But I feel like that ambiguity there worked because like, although she was like, I didn't want to have kids. She also kept saying that after she knew of the knowledge, like if she did have kids, they would all die. And it, it could also be viewed as like, I'm sure she probably changed her mind or like, had some level of maybe there was denial or maybe like like anything like your feelings about why you're not doing something changes but it's also like she couldn't even if she really deeply wanted to because she knew they would all die and she thought that 
like one version of her might have thought that was like a selfless choice, you know, as opposed to Roderick, who just keeps pumping out all these kids, even knowing if what Verna is saying is true, he just keeps having kids, doesn't even think about it. Where I like to think that maybe because Madeline is such like the like harsh boss lady girl or whatever, like boss bitch kind of person that um, that's an air quotes. I don't think she's a, that, but I like the idea that maybe deep down she was like softer, but just couldn't afford to be soft because Roderick was so just like dumb in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, dumb. big you know? dumb dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, he is dumb. He really I can, is. I can afford more kids. Whatever, I don't care. Yeah. And here's the here's the thing about Roderick. Speaking of dumb, he already has two kids. Okay, Frederick and Tamerlan are already alive when he makes that deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's not making that deal about hypothetical kids. He is making that deal with two kids who are already born, and that's the bit that I just can't get past. That's such a good yeah. point. I forgot that timeline wise, because it goes back and forth. I forgot that he already had two kids. Never in a million years would I do that. If I already had, especially if I already had two kids where Madeline's like, eh, mm-hmm. I'm like young, I'm hot. Who knows? Who knows what's in the cards for me? But like, you already have two kids and a wife and you're not telling her about this double bargain at all. <laughs> yep. And, he, um, and he, he's the one that didn't hesitate on it. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were both into the idea. She was like, eh, you know, I don't have it. I'm thinking this through. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. My kids suck. I want to see them die. <laughs> have you seen my kid? The one with the fire truck? I can't remember his name, but he's dumb. And I don't want to have him around anymore. <sighs> Frederick is dumb. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Henry Thomas did a great job. So yeah. um, Samantha Sloyan. The Tamerlan actor, because mm-hmm. I yeah. love to hate her. I was like, God, you're like so awful. Like, you're so awful. I hate yeah. everything about you. But like, um, I forget. Actually, no, I feel like the, I was like, when did I see her last in the Flanagan verse? And the last time I saw her, she was an even worse character in the Midnight Mass. She was like the um, the like super quote unquote religious, but really just like power hungry character. And it's like, wow, she's like so good at being like detestable. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, her husband seemed like a great guy who was doing things he didn't even like to keep her happy. Yeah. And she was pretty awful, too. She was awful. And something we were talking about before we started recording, or I was talking about, like, I can't come up with a reason why any of these people were so awful. Because Frederick and Madeline were raised by, I can't remember their mother's name. Gannibaly. No, not, not, I'm sorry, Frederick and Madeline. Oh, oh, oh yes, their mother, yeah. No, I'm Roderick, sorry. Roderick and Madeline, I'm sorry. That's where I'm getting. <laughs> Roderick and Frederick sound alike, remember? They do. <laughs> Roderick Eliza. and Madeline, Eliza, their mother seemed like a perfectly good person, so I don't know why they turned out capable of murder. She's a little and religiously then- nutty on the edges, so she couldn't have been that good. Fair point. Yeah. And then Frederick and Tamerlan were raised by Annabelle Lee, who was apparently a saint. And then Prospero and Napoleon and Victorine and Camilla, right, were raised by their separate mothers who, I mean, we don't know, but were probably at least acceptable people. So how did all these people turn into monsters 
were they all monsters until they were given the opportunity to be monstrous? Yeah, Prospero, yeah, I mean, he's eager to uh, to to do not bad things, but things that might be a little risky. But Victorine, like, is doing good work, maybe with some questionable ethics running through, but her goals are good. It's not necessarily money. It's more ego and trying to create a method of keeping hearts pumping. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially, like, with Victorine's case, I think... Mm. like we off mic we're talking about how like well i mean as roderick says like wealth corrupts really easily i think that's like overall it's it's very it's not a subtle point throughout the show but yeah. um, it's very much like the show is just like well you know with with wealth with access like it gets harder to like keep up boundaries or to like say no to something if you know that you can get away with it like if you literally if you think about families like um I'm, I'm blanking out on the real life family that it's kind of sort of inspired by um, like the fentanyl, uh, the alleged family that's behind all of it. So um, like none of them. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And like none of them has still have like really faced jail time. Like none of them, how that changes your, your just way of doing things. If you know, there's no repercussions um, and you can just wave things away. I think that I don't know if it's possible to keep your morality with that. I also think that it's possible that if you had like a hint more of like, I guess, quote unquote, evil qualities, like a big ego or just a want for like recognition and like power, like if any of that in you, I think it's just going to get like dialed up to like 10,000 degrees. So I think Victorine definitely, she was doing good work, but she rushed through those trials. She like hid her animal like obviously animal abuse but also like i i think it's so tragic like verna's character that she uses to like get into victorine's like study and stuff like that's was such a like a scary thing to be like oh this is a a real possible scenario that victorine probably had done in the past of like testing something before it's ready on someone and just being like well the ends justify the means even if the means are people and so i'm like wow that's you're you're evil (laughs) like that's pretty evil yeah so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if any of these kids are, I mean, I feel like even like the granddaughter who is like, like Lenore, I feel like we could be like, oh, maybe she didn't deserve her fate. But at the same time, like, how could she bliss be blissfully unaware of like what her family was doing? Like there was that point in the beginning where she's like, I think she's, her mom's like making a smoothie or something or making a cake. And she's just like, is it true what they say, dad? Like, are mm-hmm. we really like that bad? Everyone's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's like, well, you're what, like 17, 16, maybe youngest 15. You could yeah. like Google, you could figure out that there's some bad things in your family, but no one does. They're just like, oh, it's too much work. Right. That I think that's it. Like it, when insurmountably bad things happen to these people, that's where their big monster comes out with uh, Victorine. You could make the argument, maybe she's a good person with some, uh, like, worn away ethics. But when there is maybe an accident or even death, then she goes, like, crazy and it goes into murder-suicide. Not really murder-suicide because there's other supernatural things at play. But they all think they can sweep anything bad under the rug, which they've done their whole lives. Yeah, it's like every, I think it's a great example, like... I don't actually think because Verna is like essentially like a a goddess or demon or whatever. I think someone I read, she's like the goddess of fortune. And it's just like, oh, that's that's dark. I like that. But 
there's not really a choice for them, but I do like that in each of the stories, like, I think it's not that she's like fatalistic and like the way she dishes out punishment, but I love that like each child gets a choice. And it's like, if you enter this, this way, or like this through this door, do this thing, you can't go back. And she like basically says a version of that to each and every child, but no matter what, they're just like, fuck off. I'm going to do it anyway. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, and so it's not like she, it's not like they didn't have a, a, a way to, to change or to try something different, but she just knows they were always going to take that. I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to listen to your caution. I am just like arrogant and go through whatever I'm not supposed to do. But um, I, I'm yeah. rich and there's no problem. I can't yeah. unravel. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that entitlement comes through. And every time you're like, no, like don't go to that party or like, don't go through that like lab door. Like don't do it. Someone just said, don't do it. Just, listen (laughs) but like they all seal their fates they're like uh except for lenore except for lenore who's just like (laughs) a baby apparently yeah but she also got to fall asleep peacefully true she didn't you know have a horrible death she got to just and and lives on as an ai bot apparently that can only text variations on the word nevermore to her grandfather who will die later that night I was actually going to argue about that point, but I'm glad you mentioned, not Lenore, but you mentioned that every one of them got a choice. And I suddenly remembered, I was going to say Leo didn't get offered a choice. Why didn't Leo get offered a choice? But he did. She told him he couldn't have the black cat. Mm-hmm. He could have also not cat... lunged after the black cat on the balcony. Well, that's that's a whole yeah. other point I was going to bring up. Yeah. But she did tell him the black cat wasn't available. And he... Pulled out his wallet and started throwing money around. Yeah. So that was that was his choice. But there's an interesting thing about cats. It's called high rise syndrome. And cats are so focused on hunting and their prey. There's a there's a thing, there was an experiment they did with the uh, EEGs, electroencephalograms, where they would put a metronome in in a room with a cat. And so and so you could see the every time the metronome would beat, you could see the spike on the uh, cat's brain waves. And then they would put a prey item. It might have just been a, a red LED light. I don't know. But as soon as the red LED light would appear, the metronome would disappear. The cat wasn't even aware of the metronome anymore. So cats are so focused on prey that everything else disappears. And that's why cats will literally leap off of 40th floor balconies to catch, try to catch pigeons because they don't even realize how high up they are. They are so focused on trying to catch that prey. And that's essentially what happened to Leo is he was so focused, he finally saw the cat. He was so focused on the cat that he didn't even realize he was falling off a balcony. That's fast. Uh, he he got high rise syndrome. And by the way, you know, as he was hit breaking the walls, there's a story. I would have said I had read every Poe story, but I don't remember a story of somebody killing his wife and his cat and hiding them in the walls. But apparently there's a story where someone kills his wife and his cat and hides them in the walls. And so that's that brief shot of Ferna and the cat in the wall. Anyway, I wanted to mention high rise syndrome because that's what happens to Leo. That's incredible. You also like explained 80% of my walks with my dogs when we see a squirrel and it's like, (laughs) 
God help me. <laughs> I just have to lift my 25 <laughs> pound dog up. I'm like, this is, I'm not going to win this battle. <laughs> Leo did get a choice. I had been thinking he didn't, but he did get a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think any of the, I mean, it sounds like Donna that you're, you think Lenore was like an innocent, but do you think any of the other like children like deserve to be spared or like weren't that bad or. No, I mean, yeah, we didn't really get a, a lot of getting to know Tamerlan. Um, Tamerlan's until... terrible, but didn't do necessarily anything pointedly terrible to people. We didn't really get to know Tamerlan until her episode, but yeah. then the way she treated Bill. Now, yeah. except for Bill. Granted, she thought he was seeing a prostitute, which, uh, you know, she had a right to be angry. But maybe a question would have been the appropriate way to go. But still, she 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 saw what she saw. You know, her she, she her brain was being messed with. She saw what saw what she saw. Anger was an appropriate response based on what she believed to be true. But my goodness, <laughs> the way she treated Bill, who up until that point had been, I mean, a saint. Not, not so, that I'm advocating for spouses going and seeing prostitutes, but in that particular marriage, it would be, you know, I, I, I think you can make a defense for him in her upsetness. Like, now, you orchestrated the environment that was pro-prostitute in this marriage, and you, you got to take some of the responsibility if you think he's actually seeing a prostitute, because you insist he sees prostitutes all the time but it sounds like they had an arrangement like they had an agreement but you sometimes those kind of arrangements veer off the tracks and into other territories i she she can't act surprised that he might go see a prostitute it's interesting that that is what makes her so upset i think that she does definitely have right all right to be upset i think it's just um it just shows you more of her like control like like her monster everything about the monster in each of them that her control, like her need to control is what she's really angry about. Not, I, at least in my opinion, like not necessarily that he went to prostitute, but that like he did this without her consent, without like yeah. her knowledge, without her like planning, especially their sex life. She's very into like being like the, the project manager of like their, their, their <laughs> sex, you know? Which you're like, okay, I mean, if that's your thing. <laughs> I, I feel like whatever a couple or you know, whatever does in their life is, is their own business, but whatever their agreement Mm -hmm. is, they should stick to it. My concern is I'm not sure that Bill ever actually 100% agreed to what was going on. It doesn't seem to me like Bill actually agreed. I think Bill was just kind of going along. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough of their marriage, but it doesn't seem like that conversation ever happened. Uh, and I do feel a little bit bad for Bill, but I also feel like Bill is like the face of like a fitness company in Empire. So he's like, well, <laughs> but yeah. It's- and he was, I, I get the sense that he was like some trainer at a gym. And this is oh god, like in exchange for this performative sex him. life. Yeah, yeah. That, that he's like, oh, yeah, well, I can be, you know this fitness guru and all I have to do is play act at having sex with someone else. Bill survives, right? I'm not misremembering. I think that's right. Okay. Bill lives. Yeah. He's not an usher. So he lives. Okay. Yeah. 
That's interesting that it's not like a ready or not situation, you know, where it's like, well, you married into the family, like you now have yeah. the name. I guess that's fair. Is there is there anything to discuss about Frank Langella originally playing Roderick and getting fired halfway through the season? What? I didn't even know that. You didn't know that? No, he no. he. There was an investigation. He apparently did some inappropriate things, and yeah, uh, specifically regarding uh, I can't remember the specific details, but I know it had to do with uh, intimacy coordinators on the set and him saying inappropriate things to another cast member. And they had shot a large part of the season and fired him and had to reshoot all of Roderick and twenty twenty three scenes with Bruce Greenwood. I had heard about that happening. I didn't realize it was this show. Yep. Credit to Flanagan for like getting rid of a baddie. And like, I couldn't tell this was reshot. If this was a lot of this was reshot, there's nothing where I was like, there's a full mic in this thing. (laughs) Right. It's clearly the back of Langella's head, but you know, we're just going to go with it. Damn. Wow. Yeah. I don't, that's about all to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember Bruce Greenwood having any intimate scenes. That's an excellent point. Oh, maybe. Well, maybe that's what happened to Annabelle Lee, sadly. Like, I was like, where is she in this story? And maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, maybe, maybe they just decided he didn't have that many intimate scenes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, you know what? let's talk about Annabelle Lee, because I feel like. Yes. I miss her. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. wasn't enough. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts on Annabelle Lee? Especially that name. I mean, it's a lot to name a character Annabelle Lee. And I was like, oh, Flanagan. But I, I really liked her. Well, it's the poem. It's the Poe poem. So, you know, yeah, it's mm-hmm. hard to hard to change I mean, the names Vic- too much. Victorine is a lot. Yeah. All and, of them are a little bit. They're a little extra in the name department. That's true. And and what was, what was, hang on, let me find her. Camille La Espagne. Mm. That's a lot, too. That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot. But oh, Anne Boleyn, not, she, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. The the show only hints at her fate that it's a broken heart. That mm-hmm. is she still alive? I mean, I guess not because younger her shows up as a spectral vision at her children's funeral. And if yeah. she were alive, you would think she would show up. Oh, she had a big hole in the back of her head. Did did you, I didn't notice that? I yeah, totally missed would, that in the first time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When she walks away from her at the funeral, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the show never, like, I didn't catch it the first time. It was, like, my my husband that, like, because I was bringing it up. I was like, what happened to Annabelle um, And I just kept laughing because I kept saying Annabelle Lee a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, there's a, that's all you know. You know it's never discussed. I think yeah. it's interesting. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I like that. Not that necessarily she, the choice to have her, like, um, die by suicide, but that no one, like, Roderick never really mentions it. Like the kids don't mention it. And you'd think, especially like, I don't know. And and one, one of the many fight scenes with the OG and the bastard kids, you'd think that that would come up as some sort of like munition, you know, of just like, well, like, why do you think you're any better? Like, look what happened to your mom. Why make fun of our mom? Like you'd think that it'd be there, but it's just not. And I guess it's supposed to be like too sad to talk about, but like, it's a pretty big thing to gloss over considering me and Mac missed it the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also... Like, I guess, yeah, I mean, the depiction is, I mean, trigger point. You don't want to dig too deep into these things, but she died by self-inflicted gunshot wound is the implication, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah. After he, after he won over the children, I assume, I assume that's, that would be why. 
Yeah, that's the the plot line I, I like teased together was that like he won custody battle, which was like, again, like, why did you fight so hard for the kids when you like are sentencing them to death anyway? Like, just yeah. let her have the kids. Like, <laughs> I mean, he monologued about that, that uh, that shift I got. I just yeah, I, I, it never sealed up for me what actually happened to Annabelle Lee. Well, that's a heck of a note. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any, do we have anything else about the show that we want to get into? Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about Camila much. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Oh, we should talk about Arthur Pym. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Camille. Camille. Mm-hmm. I think was actually the least awful of them. I mean, sexually harassing her assistants is is pretty awful. But of the of the ushers, I think she's the least awful. That's the so least funny. hypocritical, at least. Like, yeah. She, she seems yeah. more aware of who she is, and she's not hiding it she like if she does wrong she may actually not be aware of the wrongness that she does because she doesn't hide it she Mm. is she is pretty much who she she's she's pretty much who she says she is yeah and then and then of course there's her assistance but you know at least it seems like she's pretty honest with her assistance too she's like this is what i expect from you and you're not giving it to me so get out yeah She's very upfront about it. Like, it's not an appropriate workplace setup, but she does not. Hide. It's not like she's luring these employees in and say, oh, by the way, the NDA you just signed allows us to all have, you know, extra inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. We and call, I also, we call it Langelling over on this show. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, I was going to say something. I was like, wait, hold on. Um, I also think it's fascinating. She's obsessed with Victorine. Like, I wonder if, like, I don't know. Not this is just like a like a. a sh- I don't think Flanagan is like this controversial to have it in a show. Um, but for a second, for a couple seconds, I was just like, does she just like want to have sex with her half sister? Because she's like really into this, like out like outdoing her and like like really obsessed with like deep sixing her on like a level that's just like intense, like to the level, like if I didn't know they were technically, well, they are related, but like, if I didn't know that they were related, I'd be like, Oh, that must be her ex. Like if I just walked into a scene, like just, she's so angry. And I was like, that's interesting. But like the show doesn't go there, but I'm like, I feel like that's kind of there. Was it just me? No. And I'll, my previous readings of like the story that there was also sort of a weird, inbreeding quality to the usher the house of usher inherently like to the point where i was almost taking an extra step to read into a incestuous relationship between roderick and madeline but it really isn't there in the text yeah 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 it could be it could be yeah it's not in the show but like you got the sense from the story that the crumbling of of this family is partly because they were you know Mm-hmm. Uh, inbred to a certain degree. The explanation given by Verna that Camille hated Victorine because they were so alike. Mm. I don't know. It didn't fly for me. It didn't. It didn't work for me. And as far as wrapping up the question of yeah. why why Camille hated Victorine, it just it was like I'm, I'm, I appreciate you answering the question. It just didn't work yeah <laughs> didn't work for me 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Though Gugino, did I pronounce your name right? I think that's right. I'm always I'm yeah. always a little uncomfortable. It's it seems like hard G, another, soft G. Yeah. It just it always feels like there should be another syllable in her name. Mm. Is actually my problem. It feels mm. like there should be one more syllable. Um, but Gugino's transition into the ape was really good. Yeah. It was really good. Where she's crying out in pain. And on, on my second view, I actually was really paying a lot of attention to what she was doing with her hands and what she was doing with her body position. And I was like, man, that's really good. She is she is really selling it. So that by the time you know the phone came up and we saw the face of the ape, I was like, yeah, that excellent work. Yeah, agreed. Oh, Arthur Pym. Yeah, Arthur Pym, let's do it. I think if I didn't know that Mark Hamill was in this, I might not have recognized him. I, I don't know if I would be like, oh, hey, it's Mark Hamill. I, like, that's just a, a reflexive thing. But He just, he just, because he was always so kind of scrunched in on himself. Mm-hmm. And now keep in mind, I never watched the Batman cartoons. Okay. Well, so, that's, that's many. <laughs> yeah. So that Joker voice doesn't resonate with me. And so he was using that gravelly voice. Um, His voice as Pim is not really the voice of of the Joker, but it's it's more in that register where yeah. it, it like my wife was even noting that, and I was like, well, he's probably done more voice work than he's done live action work, so he is much more chameleon like, certainly in the vocal range than he's yeah. given credit for. That's the thing is like people haven't. Most people haven't listened to his, like, all his voice acting work. So when they see him on, like, doing it in front of people, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, but no, I agree with Donna that, like, the the physicality of him was, like, transformative. Like, the mm-hmm. second you were describing him, I, like, felt my, like, shoulders hunched up. Because it is. Mm-hmm. It feels like he's just, like, buttoned up and, like, uh, just embodying this just, like, snivelly man uh, in a way that, like, mm-hmm. we've never seen Hamill played with really on screen before. So that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, the part that I see him as is Luke Skywalker, who yeah. is a very, you know, opened up character. And uh, I mean, I did recognize him, so I don't know, maybe I would have. But uh, Mark Hamill was what put the the decision for me to watch this mm. in place. And uh, so I was looking for him. But yeah. That did not look like Mark Hamill to me. I just was like, yeah, this dude actually can act. Surprise. I'm making a joke. That's a joke. See, that's a it's a joke. Ah, that's a good yes. Mark Hamill's an actor. That's been an that actor his whole life can act. See? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What an interesting character. Just this force. And then at the end, when offered the deal with the devil turned it down thought that was fascinating yeah i really like that choice what do you think mac when he turned the deal down i think it made sense for his character yeah i mean his whole code was not living with any leverage he's not going to get into any deal with anybody mm-hmm. and i think that's true to him i mean minus all of the absolutely despicable things he does it's kind of life goals don't don't let anybody uh uh get the bead on you to where you have to make like you feel compelled to make these terrible choices. He's not ashamed of who he is. He's not, 
he he offers no defense. He even knows it's wrong. He's like, yeah, you guys have caught me. I'm at, at, at his trial. He just he was probably born a little bit wrong, but managed to find a way to make a living doing it. So. And also, I don't remember exactly what point in the story that was, but he'd already seen the consequences of making a deal with her. Right. <laughs> it was it was not it was not going to work out in his favor, and he'd already seen that. Um, but I thought he did a really good job. I mean, he was a scary dude, and um, you know, I don't normally find Mark Hamill scary, so um, the fact that he. Uh, achieved that I thought was thumbs up Mark yeah excellent performance yeah but I think that it taps into that quality that I think people who did watch those certainly those early Batman cartoons knew because if you watch those early episodes before he was like oh he's the Joker he's the Joker he was doing all sorts of characters in the early episodes he was literally like Orson Wellesing it for like they could say give Mark Hamill any character he can do it no one's ever going to hear Luke Skywalker in any of the here, at least Luke Skywalker in any of those characters that it's a testament to his range that I think if you were watching those cartoons, you knew about for a while, but maybe a, a wider audience is only now starting to realize. I read a, a thing about Mark Hamill recently about because of Star Wars, he made so much money so young. He never needed to be a movie star. Right. He he had the money and the ability to just do the projects he wanted to do, um, which was great for him. But it meant for a lot of us, we never really True. got to see him have I mean, have a traditional career. He He's never not worked, but he's never been a movie star like Harrison Ford was. And I don't think being a movie star is a good deal top to bottom. Yeah. You're rich, yeah, you don't have any of those problems, but like you're a weird public specimen that I don't think a human person is really necessarily built for. So I think he played his career exactly right. He gets to yeah. do whatever he wants. All his work is really interesting, and he's just famous enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he's pretty universally loved. Yeah. People love Mark Hamm. Which is interesting that he can play such a despicable specimen like Pym. He's probably got more range than Harrison Ford does because Harrison Ford has never not played at least some variation on the Harrison Ford character. I mean, everything from yeah. like Jack Ryan all the way to Han Solo is a little bit Han Solo. Even his little bit in American Graffiti is a little bit Han Solo. Yeah, a cool, yeah. roguish dude. That's the Harrison Ford character. Yeah, I feel like Daniel Radcliffe took the Mark Hamill route too. Like Daniel right. Radcliffe, like a good, like a same kind of trajectory where it's like after Harry Potter, there was no need to ever act again. So he only chooses the most like off the wall stuff, off the wall, like super challenging. Like he literally was like a Swiss Army man. <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, he just uses the strangest stuff, and I really deeply respect that because you know he must love yeah. playing. He loves acting. Yeah. Miracle workers, uh, very yeah. against type each season against type against any of the other seasons. That's that's a really great analogy. I, if I ever got famous, I wish I were Daniel Radcliffe or Mark Hamill famous where I... Apparently fame. that's the way to do it. Okay, yeah. aspiring actors get famous <laughs> and rich really young. And cash out your fame at just the right level because then it'll go yeah. too much and you can't go, you know, you can't go to the movies anymore. And yeah, I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't do that. Yeah. 
So that's that's the way to do it. So just make sure you do that. Okay. Yeah. I'll work on okay. that. I will become Mark Hamill famous. I <laughs> so I had one thought about the ending. So I don't, again, it's, I think it's something that's like not in the text, but for the longest time, because it's Flanagan, because he loves ghosts and I love how he like very carefully, it's not as, it's not as like subtle or like uh blink and you miss it ghosties as like the haunting of hill house where there are so many ghosts and there's been so many things written about like all the ghosts in this frame if you pause and didn't realize it um and this one the ghosts are like you know when they're coming in and they definitely try to jump scare you or like quietly like like seep on on screen but i was convinced that the entire time that um Dupin and Roderick were talking. I thought he was like Roderick was already dead. I was convinced. Mm. It's like when the whole ending thing happened, I was like, oh, okay, this is fine. This is very climactic and finale like, but I kind of would have rather like he just recounts this whole story and the whole time, like it just ends with like Dupin like looks away for a second and then all of a sudden like Roderick is just gone because he was already dead. Like I thought that was going to be like the, mm -hmm. the quiet bang. Um, that I was a little disappointed how it ended with like the literal house of Usher falling down. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those. That would have been fascinating. And that did not occur to me. The the thing that struck me on the second watch, it didn't get me on the first watch, was Madeline's insistence that she wanted a life where a man did not have power over her. That was That was something she was adamant about. And on the second watch... I was like, Roderick did that to her. You know, Roderick, and I don't know, you know, he took that brain hook. He had that brain hook in his hand. And I don't know if, if he used that or not, in which case she recovered pretty fast. He used the sapphires, her own brother. Yeah. And all she wanted was for a man to not have power over her. I mean, yeah, she was bad. She was worse than, than Roderick, really. In her case, I think it was the world she lived in. I, I really kind of hated that for her. But the fact that they went out the way their mother and father went out mm. was, um, I don't know, I, it was kind of a nice bookend for me. That was really? the point I wanted to make. Very good. Anyone else have anything else about Fall of the House of Usher before we move on to Rule Pole and quote? Yes. I, 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 I leaned on the Poe of Pole a little bit. I, oh, I, that was and I didn't very clever. I, I didn't intentionally do it, but I'm just I'm, I'm living with it. I'm going to accept it and hope that it leads to my Mark Hamill famous level. <laughs> uh, I'm. I like Maddie. Maddie is one of my favorite characters in this whole thing, but I really, really like 1980 Maddie. Mm. Maddie in 1980, I like her. She earns Cleopatra. And also, I really like that Frederick never did learn why Maury was at the party. Mm. He went out never knowing what actually happened. And I like it. Well, we are at our rule polling quote. Uh, Kenzie usually does this in order. Which order do we do it in? Oh, no. I did so well up until this point. Uh, All that matters is poll is last. Poll is matter. last. Excellent. Okay, then we're going to go with our quote first. Our, That's me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, sweetie, you might not believe me, but this part has nothing to do with you. Indeed, indeed. 
uh, the rule. Uh, we had a number of good rule suggestions, uh, but I think I ended up taking it with uh, don't piss off Gugino. Just don't. Just don't do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I realized I no, typed it wrong. In my notes, it says don't piss of Gugino, which I don't know what that means. I left off the, don't the second piss ass on up. Uh, Gugino, don't piss around Gugino. <laughs> yeah. No pissing rule. <laughs> And anything a squirrel could do to a tree, right? Around (laughs) if only Langella had listened. Um, (laughs) now we're back to our poll, the last one, and uh, it was me. Uh, what would Verna? I I just wrote it as what would she? I I didn't even key into her name. What would she use as leverage against you? Such a good question. Um, I'll go first. it's feel like I feel like my answer's a cop out, but it's not not true. I feel like there's if it was like a I will help save this person that means a lot to you, mm-hmm. but there's a cost. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be the one that would get me. I feel like other things. I feel like uh, I think I could I think I could say no to even if it was a good offer. But I think if it was someone like I cared about really and like in some sort of bad situation, I think that would get me. I have been thinking about this since. Well, since we discussed it, obviously. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I'm really kind of with Pim on this. Mm. I do not like people having control over me. I don't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, there is an amount of money that would make me think. Mm. There is definitely an amount of money that would make me go, that would solve a lot of problems. But you know what? I'm getting by right now, so I don't yeah. know. I I I can't say that I wouldn't, but sitting here peacefully in front of my computer, I'm I'm tempted to say I'd I'd go with Pim. I think that's I think. Uh, yeah. I mean. I think we kind of hit on an interesting point earlier that Pim has the the virtue of really seeing Verna on full display up until that point. So many people have died that, yeah, it's whereas uh, Roderick and Madeline, it, it, at that moment, it still feels hypothetical. So they're so, yeah, sure. Why not? Well, let's let's go ahead and do it. I mean, I just buried a guy in brick, so I'm in <laughs> like. You picked the right day. It's the it's the eighties, man. We're we're gonna do whatever we want. It's been the eighties for <laughs> forty five minutes, and we're gonna get a real good head start here. I think there are things that would that would tempt me. I mean, if I was in a PIM situation where I saw it on full display, I probably would say no thanks. Your deals are too much. But could someone tempt me with something of the world? Maybe. If I didn't have to work at a day job anymore and could just do what I wanted, that would be very, 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 very tempting. But I think that's about the only thing where I'm listening and I'm up for any, almost any negotiation at that point. I think that'd be about it. But then I'd have like weird deals. Like my leverage would be like, okay, nothing bad ever happens to me and I live in peace for the rest of my old, my long life. What's the deal after that? Oh, okay. Then that's fine. Cause I won't feel weird about it afterwards 
I think she'd find me very, Verna would find me very frustrating. Like, I can give you all these things. I'm like, okay, I want very specific things and you got to deliver them right away. And she's <laughs> like, well, I can't do that. Okay, so, well then, but yeah, that's this is true. Matt makes a very good, Mac, not Matt. Mac makes a very good point that we are sitting here knowing what we, we, we watched it all happen. So, yeah. Yeah, there's Being, this uh, K drama show I'm watching that's a little silly, but it's uh, the main character is a demon and his whole th- his whole thing is like granting wishes. And I feel like the scene that stuck with me the most was like there was this mother. It's kind of it's kind of a rom com. This makes it sound very heavy. It's not a heavy show, but this mother's like crying over her like child who has like like stage four like cancer, and she's just like in a moment of weakness. She's just like I would do anything just to make like this go away. And he's just like hurt done and she's like what what it's like i feel like it's like if verna is that tricky a hundred percent i would get i would get stuck i would just like say the right thing at the wrong time (laughs) i'd say something stupid like oh god i'd sell my soul for a big beef and cheddar (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like that's like when you're dealing with the devil that's honestly how it's gonna go (laughs) you gotta be careful with those phrases yeah (laughs) okay uh so you can find us, our website, beyondthecabinthewoods.com. Uh, we are on, still on Twitter. I think they're still posting shows on Twitter. I think uh, we're on all the All major. the social, and usually Beyond Cabin is the handle. This is, it, we were doing so well. Last year's hiatus <laughs> show was a shit show, and I was barely holding it together. We did real well up until the end, where everything flew off the rails. We miss you, Kenzie. Um, we need you. We yeah. need you, Kenzie. Uh, Donna, social medias for you? Um, I am on blue sky at dragongoblin.com, and I'm on um, Instagram at dragongoblin. I'm honestly, I'm not real active on either, to be honest, but I am there and I do post things occasionally. So, uh, similarly go. for me, I, I this year I've become far less online for somebody who is co hosting two podcasts and producing <laughs> another one. I'm as uh, I was on online as a person with that profile could possibly be. I am still on Blue Sky and uh, Spoutable, uh, occasionally posting there. Uh, the Twitter account exists. You notice I'm not calling it the other thing that it's now called. I occasionally Never. check in with other accounts, but I'm not, I'm not posting anymore. Cause it's just, it's, it's a hellscape now. And it's, it, which is weird. It seems like every couple of months we're like, Oh, Twitter's a hellscape now. Now, now it's just really, it, there's not much left. Yeah. Cass, we're, we're so thrilled that you could join us. Where can people find you? What, are, what do you have going on? Yeah, I'd say, you know, I just go to my website. I feel like the other day I put my Twitter on private and I was like, ah, this actually feels pretty nice. Cause similarly, I'm like, yeah, I post and stuff, but like, I don't really want to be on there. Mm-hmm. And my other socials, I kind of like that. It's most of my socials is uh, for friends. That's trying to transition into that way of life. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes <laughs> to, to uh, what is it? 2024 is coming. We'll see. Uh, but you can just find my website, CassandraAshClark.com and it has links to all my stuff and uh, listen to the name of my podcast, which I do know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I have a head cold. This has been a great time. Uh <laughs> sorry, editor Billy. Uh that's a that's or, a weird or, website. I have a headcold.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody <laughs> has that one. Yeah. Someone has <laughs> But yeah, horror hangers. They, not, they don't, it's about to be mine. <laughs> uh 
Yeah, Horror Hangover is the name of our podcast with Ryan C. Bradley. So listen and uh, come find us there. Yes, absolutely. You have a book that came out this year as well, didn't you? I did. Yes, yes. Thank yeah. you. Uh, which I also forgot. <laughs> <laughs> my my book's called The Caretaker. You can find it pretty much everywhere where books are sold. Um, queer horror novella about a haunted hospice bed. And there's a lot of ghosts, a lot of jump scares, and hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, you can find this podcast and other fine podcasts on partyapocalypse.com, including uh, a not because I'm on the other shows usually doing these plugs and I'm about to plug this show on this show. It, it's a whole thing. It's a whole mess. What are the other ones? The Holodeck is Broken. Uh, a Star Trek rewatch podcast with myself and friends of the show. Uh, and I say start saying friends of the show because I start talking about Donna and Kenzie on the other shows. Friends of the show, Eris, Z, and my wife, Laura. Uh, they also co-host a Criminal Minds podcast, which is Disorganized, a Criminal Minds podcast. Partyapocalypse.com, books, blogs, movie reviews, those podcasts, and nothing else. Stop asking. Partyapocalypse.com. And don't read the Latin. You know what? Horror is...